The church is indeed a light on a hill. We were created and designed to be that light. As I noted earlier, we are to be piercing the darkness that prevails, and God will use his church for that purpose. The church of Christ will not fail. Now, there may be instances in church history that we look back and say, wow, I can't believe they did that in the name of Jesus. However, my friends, understand that the true church, the faithful church, will persist. It will not fail. The connection between the church and the Christian is significant. The church is made up of the people of God. As you well know, the church is not a building. The church is made up of the people of God. There are some beautiful and magnificent church buildings, both in Europe and here in the States. Some cathedrals, and then like this one, quaint country churches. Personally, I like driving. When driving across from one state to another, sometimes across the country, I like passing through towns and seeing all the steeples. And realizing that at one point, at one time, maybe even now, the gospel of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed from the building underneath that steeple. And that people in that community heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful to see how prevalent Christianity or the Christian faith has been in our American culture. And of course, we press forward that it would continue to be significant. The Church of Jesus Christ is not limited by space or time. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have had the New Covenant Church. Whose granddaughter is that? (laughs) She is adorable, though. (laughs) Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have had the New Covenant Church. The local church, yes, that's us, and the universal church, that's the church worldwide. Not just in terms of now, but even in the past. And in the future, the church will persevere. Now, we have studied at length one particular passage in the New Testament. You'll recall 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And you'll recall that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are explained who are the people of God. And there we saw that the people of God are those who are considered a chosen race. Now notice there it does not say a chosen ethnicity, but a chosen race. In other words, because of Christ, we, at the time of spiritual new birth, we are given a new nature, so that we actually become a new race of people. And there we're told that we are also a royal priesthood. Meaning that we are not only serving God, the royalness comes from the divine service, but as priests we are to lead one another in the worship of God. And in that same verse we're told that we are a holy nation. Now notice here the plurality. It's not a holy person, but a holy nation. A nation within a nation, like an embassy. That's what the church is. And that we are owned by God, and if we are owned by God, we are owned for God. That's the church. That's us. And if you read on at verse 10, we're told why God has done this. And it reads this way. 
quote, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in it, that same verse tells us of what we were in the past. It says, once you were not his people, because you had not received his mercy. But now, it says, you are the people of God. Why? Because now you have received his mercy. And so we see that the enabling factor in making us a people who are not of God to a people who are of God is the mercy of God. His mercy enables us to come to him and be his people. Well, what I want you to see this morning is how significant and how closely related the church and the Christian are. The two are so closely related that these two words, Christian and church, are nearly synonymous. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it reads this way. But to all who received him, to all who received Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, to believe means to receive. To all who received him, to, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? We see something very similar in Galatians 2.20. There Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My friends, if Christ is in you, you are included in the church of Jesus Christ. But listen, but if Christ is in you, it is only because first you are in Christ. If Christ is in you, it is because first you have been placed in Christ. And that's where I want to land my emphasis this morning, that you are in Christ. It's not simply that Christ is in you as one who will aid you, one who will save you, one who will abide and assist you, but rather you are placed in Christ so that you being in Christ becomes who you are. It becomes your identity. So that the next time somebody asks you, tell me something about yourself. You think to yourself, I am one who is in Christ. Not just Christ in me, but me in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are in now the lineage of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In contemporary language, it would be Jesus Christ is the A and the Z. But the church is everything in between. The church is what's in between the beginning and the end. The people of God are in Christ Jesus. And the world nations, as we talked about just last week, the nations, the 195 nations that exist on this globe, they exist so that the church of Jesus Christ would thrive. It's not the other way around. The church does not exist to make the nation great, but rather the nations exist so that the church of Jesus Christ would exist. And I want to 
emphasize that because it is a formidable position for us to be in. I don't think we realize how great it is to be in the church of Jesus Christ. The world exists for you to exist. (laughs) That is quite a standing. Together we are the saints of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he writes, look, quote, Sanctified, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Ephesians 2.19, he writes, Together we are members of the household of God. Together. The church. Not just you, but the people of God. Now, I do realize how sin has a way of blinding us to truth. We've been there ourselves. Things that we never noticed, even though it was very obvious. And it was nothing but enduring sin that kept us blinded to reality. But you know something? Even after we come to a realization that we're able to see what is right and what is wrong, sin has the ability of causing us to deny the truth. Or ignore the truth, even though we know what is true. I think we often see the potency of sin when we ignore the importance of God's house, the church. Sin has a way of doing that. But you know something, going to church has always been difficult for people. There's nothing new under the sun. As early as in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25 The author of Hebrews reminds people, hey, listen, go to church. This is what he writes. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And why does he write this? Because it had already been, during the very early years of the church, it had already become difficult for people to go to church. People had other things to do. People wanted to sleep in. People said, well, that's the only day I have off. Whatever it may be, going to church has always been a challenge, even for Christians. But let me, let me remind you that it is in the church that Christ is heard and that Christ is seen. You will not hear, and you will not see Christ if you are an independent Christian if such a thing exists. The Christian is not assigned to the church. Rather, my friends, the Christian is the church. You are the stuff between the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the purpose of Christ. The church is the eternal plan of God. You together are his people. Please understand, it's not that God dismisses the person, the Christian. But God's goal and God's plan is for his people, not just you individually. God's goal, God's plan is the church. The church. As you all know, truth is essential. And it is through the church that you hear God's truth. It is through the church that you grow in God's truth. How important is that? Well, look at what Jesus Christ prayed just before he went to the cross. In John 17, 19, he says, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Truth is essential. And truth is what the true church of Christ expounds. Here at Hope Church, we hear God's truth for today. 
And by the way, it's the same truth from 2,000 years ago. It doesn't change. Truth is truth. I don't change it. I don't create it. God's word has already exposed us to it. The Bible drives home the identity of the Christian by describing the church in, in various ways. And we've already looked at one, right? In, in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that we are God's chosen people. But notice that the Bible also describes the church as God's ambassadors. The Bible also says that the church is God's bride or Christ's bride. The Bible says that the church is Christ's sheep. The Bible tells us, number four, that the church is the Father's children. And number five, or number six, depending where you started counting, the church is the body of Christ. The Bible describes the church in these various ways. And let me point something out very important to you here in regards to all these descriptions. Notice that in all these descriptions listed here for you, there's a plural connotation. In other words, it speaks of us, not just me. The church, not just the Christian. Notice also that there's a possessive meaning to it. In all these uh, uh, examples, what we see here is that it conveys the idea that I do not belong to myself, but I belong to another. Christ is the one who possesses us. And there's also a posture of surrender. We do not act independently, but rather we act in deference to Christ himself. There's plurality, there's possession, and a posture of surrender. Well, let's take a brief look, and I do mean brief, at each one of these five. These five descriptions of the church. I want you to see how important the church is to the Christian. So important that the Bible calls the church of Jesus Christ, that's us, that's you, us together, the ambassador of Christ. There's a very familiar passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in particular, verse 20. If you want to look there, go right ahead. I'll slow down a little for you. It happens to be a verse we looked at last week. Chapter 5, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians. Of course, this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And as he makes his way through that chapter... He says this in verse 520, just one simple phrase. Look at what it says. We are ambassadors of God. We are the ambassadors of our Lord, of our God. God is making, look there at that same verse. God is making his appeal through us. Being an ambassador is not always easy. But it is essential. First of all, it's not easy because as an ambassador, you don't get to represent yourself. You have to represent somebody else. You have to represent the demands and and the tastes, the ideas of somebody else. And that's not always easy. In fact, that can often be very difficult. But it's also very difficult because being an ambassador is very demanding. A friend of mine was offered an ambassadorship. And over breakfast, he asked my opinion, and I said, take it. 
You're going to become an ambassador. Sure, you don't, you don't think twice. What I should have said is, brother, pray about it. <laughs> he did not take the post. After counting the cost, he said, Paul, it would be grueling. I don't want to do that. You see, being an ambassador, although it may look and sound simple, is not simple at all. And we are called to be ambassadors. But God's ambassadors, we're not representing a worldly king or prime minister or president. We are representatives together of God himself. And it's a weighty task, would you agree? Our job is to represent God's word, God's will, and God's ways. That's what we represent. His word, his will, his ways. And so together we are ambassadors of God. Take a look at what we read in that same portion of the Bible. If you jump down to the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. And there Paul describes the plurality of the work that he's doing. He says, working together with him, working together with God, we work together with God as his ambassador. We appeal to others. The plurality of this call, the church. Second, the church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. In other words, we are Christ's marriage partner. And Paul describes the relationship between God and the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. I'll read it to you. He says, I betrothed you to one husband. You know, as a minister, you, you can imagine, I, I've done many, many weddings over the years. I hate to admit this, sometimes I forget who I married. Somebody says, you don't remember? Well, it's been 30 years. And um, I'll admit this as well. And, and, and Matt could still smack me over the head for this. Uh, we were at the rehearsal dinner, and I called the groom by the wrong name. How embarrassing. That was just a few weeks ago. <laughs> a few months ago, I guess, now. What makes it worse is that the groom had the same name as my son. <laughs> With Christ, this does not happen. We have been betrothed, Paul says, to one husband. In other words, he took the people in Corinth and he introduced them to Jesus Christ and he married the two and they became one. One husband. One husband. Maybe you are aware that the traditional wedding ceremony as we know it, as we celebrate it, is actually a reflection of another wedding ceremony. It's a reflection of the ceremony between Christ and the church. You take the ceremony that we have in our regular American weddings, actually it's rather universal, the Christian wedding. And it's supposed to be a reflection between what is going to happen between Christ the groom and the church the bride. In this sense, the church 
is presently engaged, betrothed to Jesus Christ, engaged and waiting for the ceremony. And what we read in Revelation chapter 19, 6, is that soon the doors are going to be opened and the bride is going to come through the sanctuary and everybody's going to gasp and say, oh. And there in Revelation 19, it says that there will be a crowd of witnesses. And then it goes on to say that the bride will be adorned. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that the groom loved the church so much that he gave his life for her. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. My friends, notice here that the truth of God is ingrained in what we do from day to day. We see it in creation. We see it in our ceremonies. And marriage is a reflection of of the relationship that exists between God, Christ, and his church. Uh, And Jeffrey Bromley put it this way, that marriage is a reflection of God's, quote, own eternal marriage with his people. And Edward Kling says that marriage is a tutor pointing us toward Christ and his church. That's what marriage is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be a reflection of what Christ does and is to the church. Now, granted, because of our brokenness, our marriages often do not portray it well. But that's the intent. Even marriage is supposed to remind us of the church, the bride of Christ, and Christ himself. And so Christ does call us the bride. In Isaiah 54, 5, we're told, your maker is your husband. God's people, who he chose, his church, is his chosen bride. So in this sense, my friends, the Christian is wedded to Jesus Christ. Christ died for us, and then he resurrected so that he would not leave us as widows. He's alive. And in fact, that's why the believer's baptized. Baptism is an identity marker. It's like an engagement ring that says, look, I'm spoken for. I'm with him, Jesus Christ. I have a new name. I have a new identity. I have a new home. The church is the bride of Christ. Third, the church is Christ's sheep. The church is Christ's sheep. You know, the Bible often describes mankind as sheep. Um, It's not the most attractive imagery. Would you agree? Although, you know, you may have been... uh, past the farm and they look like such adorable animals especially when they're little lambs Uh, but when you get too close you discover the sheep are not exactly so well adorable Uh, maybe we would prefer to be uh, compared to a a soaring eagle or maybe an elegant elk Uh, but no the, the bible describes mankind as sheep Now, sheep do have their value, don't they? I mean, we get wool from them, and we could all appreciate that. And and they certainly are good followers. The problem is they'll follow pretty much anybody. They are extremely dumb animals. They are smelly animals. And they are extremely vulnerable animals. And yet the Bible calls us, mankind, sheep. In Isaiah 53, 6, we read, All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep. 
have gone astray from God and the things of God. In Matthew 19.36 says that Jesus Christ was looking at the crowds and quote, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever seen sheep without a shepherd? They don't know what to do. They are dumb animals. But in the case of the Church of Christ, we are called not just sheep in general, but we are called the sheep in God's fold. We are the sheep of God. Take a look at John chapter 10 with me. The Gospel of John chapter 10. In verses 27 through 30, we see the conversation Christ is having with his disciples, and he speaks about his church, and he calls them his sheep. Verse 27 reads this way, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is the, these are the words of Christ. Okay? Christ is speaking here. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's break down these verses quickly here and see some of the characteristics of the sheep in Christ's pen. First of all, you'll notice that it is plural. It is plural sheep. It is a flock. Referring, of course, to the plurality of the people of God, his church. And notice that they belong to Christ. This is the identifying marker. They are the sheep of Christ in his fold, in his pen. And they recognize his voice. They know what he's saying. They, they realize it when he's the one speaking. Thus, we see that they follow their shepherd. And they are fed and they are attended by Christ because he is the good shepherd. And he forever cares for his sheep. Verse 29 says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. And all this is certain. Why? Because Christ and the Father are one. And here again, you see the plurality. You see the nature of possession. We are his sheep. And there is a posture of surrender. We follow him. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We are the sheep in the fold of Christ. Together, the church. You are not that lone sheep pasturing by yourself. But rather, we live in community as the fold of God. Here's number four. The church is the father's children. The church is the father's children. I, I uh, hope you realize that the devil is a father as well. God is father. The devil is a father as well. In fact, Jesus Christ notes that in John chapter 8, verse 44. This is what Christ said. He said, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. The devil's a father, but he's not a good father. The devil's a father, but he has abandoned you, he has neglected you, he has abused you. He does that to all his children. 
But notice something, that none of us are orphans in this world. We are not spiritual orphans. We have one of two fathers. All of mankind does. The church is made up of those who know God as their father. The church is made up of those whose father is God himself. Those who have been adopted into the family of God and placed together into the home of God. And now the church, God's children, are being nurtured by the word of God. Through Jesus Christ, all the family promises made in the Old Testament come to fruition. You'll recall what God said to Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis. He says, all the families of this earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ. And indeed, this comes to fruition. Through Christ, our family ties are actually shifted. We, we go from being in the lineage, the depraved lineage of Satan, to now the divine family of God. That's a beautiful truth. This is the church. Amen, brothers and sisters. What Christ has done for us He's actually shifted our family lineage so that now we belong to him. The church is the family of God living together as a family. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says that you are his children, a children of promise. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says if we are God's children, we are, listen to this, we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ, if you are his children. It means he's your brother, your eldest brother. That same passage, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 15, explains that we now call God Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. But it's more than just father. It's a far more intimate term. It means daddy. Dad. God's our dad. There's an intimate relationship. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says that we are members of God's household. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will help you understand that you are the family of God. If God had to pay taxes, he would list us, his church, as his dependents. We are the household of God. And therefore we should live as the household of God. In mutual love. Interest in each other. Sharing our lives together. Hospitality one to the other. Uh, there should be unity and forgiveness from one to the other. That's how a healthy family exists. And we've all been in those family situations where that did not exist. And we know how painful that was. So the church is the ambassador of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sheep of Christ, the children of the Father. And notice one last one. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Earlier, uh, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we started our reading at verse 12. And let me just emphasize verse 12 yet again. This is how it reads. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one... And has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Just as the body is one body, but we have many members, right? Internal, external. But we're still one body. And as one body, we act like one body, of which Christ is the head. Now let me ask you, of what good is the heart if there is no head? <laughs> Be no value whatsoever. Christ is the head of this body, the church. There's no value in lungs unless you have a head. And Christ is that head. The church is in the body of Jesus Christ. And each member, each member of the body of Christ has a function. As we read earlier, some of those functions are extremely vital. Others work behind the scenes. There are some in the church where we don't even know what they're there for. They're like the appendix. One day we'll figure out. Don't be the appendix. Some parts are exposed. Some are covered up. But all are essential. Some work behind the scenes. Some are up front. But we work in unison. Functioning as one body. The body of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. First, the church without any particular Christian is like a body that is handicapped. We've all seen individuals who are handicapped. Maybe you are in any particular way. And we look and we pity them, missing their legs or missing an eye or missing whatever. And we look and say, oh, how does he manage? How is she able to get through the day? Because it's just not right that you would be missing an organ or a limb. The church, without any particular Christian, is like a body missing a limb or an organ. But it goes the other way as well. The Christian, without the church can be likened to going on your honeymoon and only taking part of your spouse with you. Just taking his foot. Just take her eye with you. On your wedding night, all you have is his hand. That's rather vulgar. But that's what the Christian life is without the body of Christ. God designed us so that we would be one body functioning together. My friends, the church is the ambassador of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sheep of Christ, the children of the Father, and the body of Christ. And if you identify with any one of these five, then all of them apply to you. You cannot be one and not the others. Let me quote to you in closing from Edward Clink. As you well know, I've been uh, quoting for him for the last several weeks. And, and he writes this in regards to the church and the importance of the church to the Christian. He says this. It's a little lengthy, but, but you'll, you'll stick with me. He writes, in sum, your local church is the primary people and place where your relationships with God happens, where your relationship with Christian family happens, and where you are to do ministry and missions. 
Rather than an add-on or helpful addition to your Christian life, your local church is your spiritual headquarters, your home, and your place of work. Stated simply, the church is the sacred instrument God created for him to love and grow you and for you to love and grow in him. You cannot just have a spiritual relationship with Jesus without a real connection to his physical body. If Jesus is the center of your life, he writes, a local church is at the center of your life. That's how important the church is to the Christian. The church is made up of Christians.